I have been in a place, frankly, been emotionally, not distraught, but just exhausted place mm-hmm. the last couple of weeks. And I have actually joked not once, but several times with random customers who I find out are either thinking about starting their own business or do. And if they are thinking about it, I'm like, don't do it. <laughs> I was like, answer these questions. Do you like free time? Do you like work-life balance? Yeah. Do you like money? Yeah. Because <laughs> you don't get any one of those for the first many years of your business ownership. That's Sam Shelberg. He's the founder, owner, and namesake of SK Coffee, a specialty coffee roaster based right here in Minnesota that explores unique and rare single origin coffee. And I'm Joel Lehman. Welcome to Connection Request. I just want to begin by saying how much I appreciate everyone who's listening to the show, writing in with feedback and ideas, and just generally being amazing hype people. I'm having so much fun with this and want to make sure you all know how much it means to me for you to spend a little time with me every couple of weeks. In the coda, I'll tell you a little bit about what I've been up to in the past few weeks, and I will do my best to convince you to book some vacation time for yourself. But right now, I want to get straight into my conversation with Sam. Sam and I went to college together, and I knew he was a talented, special, and creative guy. At the time we knew each other, we were both destined for careers in music, but eventually we chose different paths, which we'll talk about in today's conversation. After moving back to the Twin Cities from Boston, Sam popped back on my radar a few years ago, and I've just really enjoyed following his journey closely since then. He and his partners have built an incredible business in SK Coffee, one that takes its craft and product really seriously, but still creates an incredibly warm, vibrant, and open environment for anyone who stops by. It's not pretentious. And it's one that's begun to get some really incredible recognition here in Minnesota and beyond. For people who take coffee seriously, SK has become much more than a business. It's a community. We chatted just days after he opened his second location, and I thought he would be incredibly excited and full of energy riding that high, which he was. But he was also incredibly open and honest about the very real struggles that come along with being an entrepreneur, the trade-offs that come with dedicating so much of your life to one thing. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Sam Chalbrook. So I'm Sam, Sam Chalbrook, Swedish last name. It's the S and K actually of SK Coffee. And I guess that's what I do right now is coffee. I always tell people I do all the sourcing and roasting, the coffee guy of the business. My business partner, Nate, the sort of ongoing joke we make is I'm the coffee guy. He's the spreadsheet guy. I cook the beans. He cooks the books. And obviously now with both of us being full-time and managing two shops, as well as a moderately robust wholesale program and a nationally distributed subscription program, we both wear quite a few hats. But ever since moving back to the Twin Cities in 2018, I've been full-time with SK. So. I'm just curious, you've been on this journey for a while now. Do you identify as a coffee, like coffee entrepreneur is what I wrote down, but that also, mm. I don't know if that sounds silly or not. I f- like 
you're running a business, you are an entrepreneur, you're into coffee, you do all sorts of things. But I guess what like words do you generally use other than coffee guy to describe yourself and how you spend your time? Joel, you probably can relate to this to a certain degree. We both went to a fairly academic undergraduate and then I went off and did even more academic research and stuff still in classical music. Yeah, yeah, we'll definitely get to that. But I think as you probably can relate that the more you get into something, the more you feel like you don't know that Hmm. kind of classic quip. And so I am very hesitant to describe myself as an entrepreneur. I think largely because that it's not, it's certainly not because of some kind of counterculture rejection of labels and all that stuff, but there's this idea of the entrepreneur, of the founder, right? The founder complex, this Silicon Valley kind of tech startup thing, which we now see is a crumbling facade anyways. But I guess ultimately that is what we are trying to do at our coffee business. We're not trying to create and no, no shade thrown whatsoever at this route that people go, but our goal is not to go down the sort of lifestyle route where we just create one shop. We've already not done that, right? We have two shops already. And the goal is to create a real viable business that kind of relates to the structure of good business practices. Yeah development, strategy, et cetera. I'm reading as many business books as I am coffee books, right? Yeah. So in from that definition, absolutely, Nate and I are entrepreneurs. We're creating a business that is viable as well as one that can scale and one that has a niche, right? And in that way, I often try to describe myself too, just given my past in academia, that I... I think of myself or want to think of myself sometimes as like a professor, right? Of coffee, whatever. But in that way, it's this niche of third wave, super rare, unique, single origin micro lots. This sounds kind of buzzwordy, but really it's very, it's ultimately niche. And I think in order to be successful in a highly commoditized product like coffee, yeah. You have to have an angle in that way. Yeah. To create a viable business. Like I had alluded to, I read as many business books as I do coffee books, but ultimately my number one goal is to learn as much as I possibly can about coffee and be that sort of professor for people. Yeah. I that love that. Sense. That no yeah. that that makes sense and is a great answer. And just really quickly for our listeners, for anyone who's not hit to the third wave jive, can you tell us like what that is and a little bit about what makes SK stand out from Starbucks or Caribou? Yeah, so third wave, one of the understandings of the waves are essentially first wave being the early commoditization of coffee and really maybe even pre-commoditization, but the play into that where brands were being created. Mm. Before the mid to late 1800s, coffee would have been roasted at home. 
So when you purchase coffee, you would not really have purchased roasted coffee. And if you had, it would have been just on literally on these carts and you would just scoop them home delivery style. Hmm. What a lot of people would do is in, in the misogynistic society, housewives would buy green coffee and roast them in a pan on the stove if they were going to drink coffee at all. Sure. Then Folger, one of the Folgers family, as well as Maxwell House, but for different reasons, but both in San Francisco, the kind of inspiration or rather the crux, uh, like the moment of explosion of the first wave and really the commoditization of coffee revolved around, it seems like, the gold rush, hmm. actually. So Folger, that family, they actually came from Nantucket. They were whalers. Hmm. That was their money. But as whaling stopped, the newest generation Folger moved to California to have his hand at gold. Hmm. That didn't work. And for lack of a better understanding, essentially it was like, oh, but all these gold panners and stuff seem to be all needing coffee. So he started essentially selling to the people during the gold rush. That's really funny. Maxwell House similarly was literally an inn, a hotel called Maxwell House. And one of the things is they had really good coffee, apparently. And I think it was Teddy Roosevelt, maybe. <laughs> There's some like early marketing that Teddy Roosevelt had stayed there and had said that I think their their slogan is something like good till the last drop. Okay. And I'm pretty sure they attribute that to Teddy Roosevelt. Sure. I could be wrong. You may want to check that. But point is, that was the first wave of coffee, right? Second yeah. wave is when you get into sort of Pete's, Starbucks, where transparency behind the counter is starting to be broken. So espresso machines are either seen entirely because they yeah. weren't before or espresso machines are even introduced. In the U.S., espresso wasn't a thing until into the 20, 20th century. Yeah. Wow. Um, like people still remember here in Minneapolis, like the place with the first espresso machine. Mm. It was barely outside of our lifetime. Mm. It's wild. So anyways, second wave, Charles Schultz, or no, sorry, Howard Schultz. Same guy. Not the peanuts guy, but the coffee guy, Starbucks. He is attributed to essentially turning that espresso machine around so the barista's facing you, yeah. right? That, that third place, not mm -hmm. to be confused with third wave, but that right. third place. You have home, you have work, and then you have the coffee shop, right? That's also, by the way, side note, not a new concept. Coffee house culture has been around since Vienna in the 1700s. Yeah. Or even earlier. Like, yeah. J.S. Bach, the great German composer, one of his jobs was actually as a music director for Zimmerman Coffee House. It was like a community music group. Yeah. That he ran that only ever met, rehearsed, and performed at a coffee house. Interesting. It's been around forever, but that's sort of utilizing that in a sort of capitalistic way. Third wave is still the sort of general, we're still operating on this as being where we currently are, although we're past third wave now. But third wave is ultra transparency, 
understanding the farmer, the process, light roasted coffee starts to get introduced in third wave. And so, yeah, that's where we're at. The idea of single origin. But now some in the profession argue that we're in what's called the tidal wave. It's whatever. It's silly. But point is, we're kind of past that. And what we're trying to do is to try and bring it back here is start from that floor, right? Of understanding place, single origin, but understanding people, process, and variety, right? Hmm. So where apples were in the 90s, where we started to understand like Honeycrisp, Fuji, you would never go now today to a grocery store and ask for a, a red apple. Yeah. You have... 10 red apples and you know which varieties taste like what right yeah and that is happening in coffee right now and that is where we're trying to engage with and this is still oddly enough this has been going on for a while especially on the coast and in europe and in asia and the middle east too but for some reason the u.s man we just especially in the midwest we love our dark roast blends that mm. French roast, just milk in the coffee. And that's great, right? That's sentimental. People love that. Yeah. People love that nostalgia. And coffee is often connected to nostalgic experiences of childhood. My parents drank this, so I drink a yeah. blah, blah. Or just routine even, right? It's like that, like coffee is so associated with, I've done it every day for the past however many years. Why would I change that? I really appreciate that explainer. I think that helps set the grounding and foundation for why you do what you do. But let's actually bridge that into the news hook of this podcast. Part of why I wanted to talk to you right now Mm -hmm. is this won't come out for a few weeks, but 11 days ago, 12 days, something like that, you've doubled the number of locations of SK Coffee and Mm -hmm. you've opened a new location in Minneapolis. And at least my guess is that is a, that's a big deal. That's like a huge milestone in your business. Just from our conversations, I know it's not like that happened overnight. You've been planning and thinking about it. Just a side note, I've told you this, but I'll say it publicly. Because your first location was in St. Paul, where I am a resident, I feel a little bit jealous of Minneapolis that now Minneapolis also gets access to its own SK, but I'm okay with it because it helps your business grow. But Tell us a little bit, like, how are you feeling? How, what is that moment like to do that? Tell me a little bit about how it's going. There's a few things here. One, how do you make a decision as a business owner, mm. as, a, as an entrepreneur, as someone who's trying to build a business? There's so many different factors, right? Price consciousness, right time, right place. Nothing is ever a sure bet. Right. All these, you could say all these quips, right? All these little phrases. And as much, as much analyzing as you can do, ultimately you have to feel like something is right. I was watching the Elizabeth Holmes documentary and for all the wild stuff that happened in that story, they made this very simple explanation of sort of angel investors, but I think it can broadly um, describe a lot of business or the sort of end decision piece of any decision. And it's like, ultimately, you got to rely on your gut, 
Yeah. And so getting in touch with, and that gut is not, I don't mean that in a woo-woo way, but ultimately like there are things you can understand at the forefront of your consciousness on all your spreadsheets and everything. But every experience you've had in the past is going to inform that. And it equals to something that you just feel, right? This feels right. Yeah. So while, yeah, we were thinking about this for a long time, it was actually a quick turnaround. So we took over. We've been thinking about expansion for a long time. But you never know when an opportunity will come. Yeah. Right. So that location has had a coffee shop in it in some regard for 30 years. It's on the corner of Lindale and 24th in the Whittier neighborhood near Uptown, but not technically in Uptown. Corner shop in a very dense, highly populated neighborhood of Minneapolis hmm. and has had a coffee shop since the late 80s, early 90s. And the most recent tenant there was misfit and they i think basically announced that like in two weeks we're closing it was like the end of october if i'm if i remember correctly and we were like oh my god that is a great location we've already been discussing expansion we actually were in conversations with three or four other locations for said expansion and we somehow were able to get in touch with the landlord, basically make a deal that works for everybody in two weeks. We signed the lease wow. in November. Quick. Yeah. Like yeah. I, I'm not in your world. But Super that sounds quick. quick to me. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And that's the thing is you can think generally, okay, for the last six to eight months, we've been thinking, frankly, since we opened um, SK1 at Vandalia tower i've been thinking wow this is working really well we want to do this again yeah. so we've been thinking about it for a year yeah right but you can't think oh i want that that's the right place a year from now when we're ready you have to yeah, there's a little what is luck it's opportunity meets preparation right yeah. so we were prepared to do it and then the opportunity came and we had to move yeah because we're a small business, we're able to be a lot more nimble. Hmm. But that decision, because we needed to do it quickly, we opened then essentially two months later. Wow. Um, yeah, the first month and a half month was lining up the crucial contractors, like electrical, plumbing, stuff that we can't really do ourselves. And then Christmas hit. So that was like two weeks, basically dead. And then essentially January was building the place out. We did everything ourselves. While you know, you're running the rest yeah. of your business, right? Yeah. So I think people are listening and owning their own business or thinking of starting one or making a big move to expand their business. Like these are things you have to consider. Okay. So we negotiated two free months of rent, some tenant improvement dollars. So we start paying rent in February. You either have money to pay for someone to do stuff or you have time. And we had a little bit more time theoretically than money. Yeah. We had a little bit of money and we had a little bit more time than we had money. 
So we decided to do all of it ourselves, essentially, except those two things I mentioned. With some help from friends here and there. But what that does is it forces you to make decisions and take away in parts of your outside life, your personal life, right? And I have been in a place, frankly, been emotionally, not distraught, but just exhausted place in the last couple of weeks. And I have actually joked not once, but several times with random customers who like I find out are either thinking about starting their own business or do. And I'm like, and if they are thinking about it, I'm like, don't do it. <laughs> I was like, answer these questions. Do you like free time? Do you like work-life balance? Yeah. Do you like money? Yeah. Because <laughs> you don't get any one of those for the first many years of your business ownership. I don't know if that answered your question, Joel, but that was like how the mindset was. You make this decision and then ultimately you have to follow through with that decision. And sometimes that means taking away from other parts of your life. Yeah. What an incredibly honest answer. I really appreciate you just telling me like it is. I think a lot of times business people in general, right, are kind of always like, oh man, I'm killing it. It's going so great. Like I'm just, yeah. I'm, you know, I'm loving life. And I think that does such a disservice to what the emotional journey is actually like. Yeah. So I, so I appreciate that. And Joel, just to add to that, I think that's one of the, one of the ways I try to, you know, lead as one of the owners of our business with my team is actually like very transparent. I'm like super open with yeah. them. I don't over, I'm not weird about it, but they know I'm in therapy. Yeah. Like they know that's Thursdays great. from this time to this time, do not text me, do not call me. And if they do, I'm not angry, but I'm like, Hey. I'm never going to answer your phone call while I'm in therapy. You And we should all be in it. Yeah. But talking about that kind of stuff is like, yeah, ah, it's so weird that it's, it's not so the norm. taboo. But like, why would you try to distance yourself from understanding from other people? It doesn't make any sense. I refuse to be called boss too. I don't like that kind of hierarchical distancing, right? Sure. I own and started this business with my Two business partners, but like we are making this business run. What's the point? And ultimately, I understand that I have to make certain decisions because ultimately the responsibility and liability falls on me and my partners. Yeah. But Britta, Sela, you guys are, you guys make this business happen. Yeah. And so why would I try to? distance myself from understanding you or you understanding me it doesn't yeah. benefit anybody i really admire that and i wish more people were like that let's take a trip down memory lane so we knew each other in college you were a couple mm -hmm. years ahead of me and at that time this mega talented drummer percussionist i'm sure you still are you were starting on this path of music i'll let you tell it in better words but like then post-college you did a bunch of interesting things. You worked at NPR for a while. You were in radio. You went and became this conductor of choral activities. It, like you did all sorts of interesting things. And then you just popped back up on my radar as, yeah, oh, hey, yeah, like I'm opening this coffee business. So how, 
uh, I think it's a super interesting path. How'd you get from point A to point B? First of all, thank you for saying that from somebody like yourself, who is ultra talented. I mean, a lot, but no, yeah. So percussion, conducting, all that stuff, music was my life, just as it was yours for so long. It's funny to say I was doing music for 20 years before I did this. And that's not an exaggeration. Like when you were in high school, you probably took like piece theory and all that stuff, right? Or the equivalent. Yeah. Like I was in choir band, all the extracurricular, like all state, all conference, all yes. the honor bands I could do. So it was my life. And then college and then grad school, the two years between that. So really since 2007. Just a life centered around music. And even there. Yeah, yeah. And really even in high school. Just really quickly, like, yeah, yeah. I don't talk a lot about myself on this podcast so far, but every time I tell my career story, it's like my entire life leading up to a certain point was to be in music and to be a band teacher, right? Like from a very early age, like the one through line was music. And then all yeah. of a sudden one day, it wasn't. And that was a very, yeah. str like, it was the right decision. I'm not, I don't regret anything, but it was a, in some ways disorienting. So anyway, I can relate a lot to what you're saying. Yeah, totally. Yeah, since we were probably seven, right? That's when I started taking piano lessons. And I guess that's, I wasn't like, oh, I'm going to be a <laughs> professional. But that's when you start playing music and then it hasn't been not part of my life. Sorry to use a double negative, but it's always, it's been part of my life ever since. And actually... Side note, and I guess it's part of this whole thing, but I actually officially am taking like six months minimum off of any music. I'm not doing anything. I'm just taking a break because I think I'm so long story. Maybe I'll get there, but sure. it's unimportant. But this is the first time since I was seven mm. that I like haven't done something musical, which wow. is wild. I'm a 34. That is, that, yeah. Okay. So going back. After I graduated undergrad, I went to work for NPR, which was the luckiest job. I cannot describe to you how effing lucky I was. Like, I think actually that job changed my life. Interesting. Not because I wasn't expecting that. Go. Yeah. So I was studying theory, comp, and philosophy as an undergrad. Not education. So I couldn't get a job in the schools. Mm. Not performance really so that wasn't my goal so I wasn't taking auditions anywhere and yeah. I wasn't going into a grad school program to then become a professor at the time so I was like what the hell am I gonna do but truly I had no idea and it was this weird serendipitous thing because probably halfway through senior year I was like just I did not know I was gonna stay in Fargo-Moorhead because I don't know I didn't want to go live with my parents basically sure. back in the cities. Right. Fair. So I had started reaching out just to see, oh, maybe I could work for the orchestra and like how naive I am, like just write concert program notes. There is no job for that unless you're part of like a giant orchestra, which the Minorc is big, but they don't have a full-time research associate. Sure. But Yet. I started yet Maybe i started someday. emailing like all these organizations including classical npr yeah. they're like oh you know we don't have anything right now but like maybe we'll have something in the future it was a really nice guy he's since gone on to 
actually have like a very robust radio career. He works for the daily, the New York times, the daily with Michael Barbaro. Cool. But he, as two weeks before graduation, I kid you not, Joel, this guy reaches back out to me. He's like, Hey, you reached out six months ago. Somebody told me to reach out to you. Are you still looking for a job? Yeah. Yeah, I am. And he was like, I can't tell you it's going to be forever, but we do have a full-time but temporary job yeah. working on this random program called Pipe Dreams. It was a nationally syndicated show about organ music, which I okay. did not really know anything about. Sure. So I, I like just moved to the cities. I didn't even have the job, but I was like, this is cool. This, this could work. Sure. I was dating a girl who was in Korea at the time. Sure. On the Concordia Choir tour. Okay. And I couldn't really communicate with her because like WhatsApp and all that stuff wasn't really available. Like international conversing was not a thing. Yeah. So I had gone down there. I told her I was doing this interview and I got the job and I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to take this job, screw it. And I'll tell her later. And she was pretty pissed. Anyways, I like moved down there without really telling any of my friends because it was like too good an opportunity. Yeah. And I'm not joking. No idea what I was doing. All I did was sit in those super soundproofed teeny little rooms with no windows and edit and transcribe interviews with organists 40 hours a week for three months straight. That is all I did. And I loved every second of it. Did because you? Because it was new. Yeah, it was new. It was exciting. Like, I got to then work for that job was ending. Oh, this is even the best part. Yeah. I went to interview Michael Barone is his name. And the way he would tell it is he gave me the job because I looked him in the eye and shook his hand when we first met, <clears throat> which I find hilarious. And is total BS. It's not why he gave me the job. He was leaving the next day for Germany. He wasn't even there when I started. I like started the next day. He was gone. He was gone for two weeks. So I just figured it out on my own. And, but then I got to be around like so many cool things. Like one of the, one of the most interesting, like maybe life changing. I don't know, but I started working for performance today which is like apparently the most listened to classical radio show in the country I apparently believe that. I believe that so fred child i got to work with him for about eight months and was working for both shows and we got to occasionally help actually produce segments for their show cool and i produced the segment and then it was the 10-year it was, yeah, it was in 2011. It was the 10 year anniversary for 9-11. And Steve Reich wrote a piece called WTC 9-11. And while I did not get to meet Steve Reich in person, Fred did a studio to studio interview with him. And I got to sit in yeah. and just listen to Steve Reich in the candid, like conversational interview. Yeah. This actually Ooh. does sound like a dream job for you as your yeah. first, like, pretty lucky break. At the time, it was unreal. And yeah. Steve Reich, side note, is one of my, was like a life-changing composer to me. You're listening to your dream composer. You're at NPR. 
eventually jumped to be a conducting student. Yeah. You moved to Boston. I was, yeah. So I was exploring conducting while in undergrad and when out in the real world, I was like, I'm going to keep doing this. So I create, I like essentially had my first sort of entrepreneurial, official entrepreneurial kind of venture and started my own choir group Mm. with a bunch of young people just like us. And we were called Academy of Voices. Great name. Yes. Sounds cool. Really, there's still a group, but they're named something different now. But any... Like the group that you started is still going without you. That's actually incredible. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. So that's when I was like, oh, I got to do conducting. This is so fun. It has that kind of entrepreneurial... Like I loved starting stuff. And if you remember, Joel, Peter Graff and I... I do. Did remember that new music symposium? That was Peter and my little project that I yeah. think then went on for another year or two. Probably did. So you have a history of starting things, making stuff from scratch. I loved it. I loved it. It's so fun, right? Build around a project and then it's the, the journey to the yeah. fulfillment of that project. It's all exciting. Yeah. So went into grad school, Boston University, also another life-changing experience. Boston is the best city, in my opinion. Love it. Probably going to move back there. It's where I met my now wife, Nellie, who grew up on Nantucket. She's super cool, but loved Boston, was there. Then got a really cool opportunity to move to England to basically get a second master's degree. But it was really just a way to study with this one dude named Simon Halsey, who is like this freaking like two-time knighted choral conductor in yeah. England. He's wild. And to set yeah, the scene sorry. for our listeners, like yeah, yeah. in in this world of music, mm-hmm. you are like, you're on a path, right? You're studying with really amazing people. You are full-time in it. You're in a great music city in a great music program. Well, first Boston and then England, right? And then based on conversations that we've had before, you're like at the peak of your game in some ways. And then yes, something thank you clicks for in you. Help. Yeah, thank you for helping narrate this wandering garble, but it's what I do. No, so no, you're right. So these are all like pinnacle, like I was on a trajectory. Right. Absolutely. And I think it was being in that place to really fully see that this wasn't really right. Like it wasn't fully itching or kind of scratching that itch of starting something, but that also wasn't, I'm going to say some, like maybe I should be far enough away from it, but I guess I'm not yet, but I didn't like the idea that I had to ask for, and in some ways beg for money Hmm. in order to create a project Hmm. that it wasn't fully viable in the larger kind of marketplace what new music it's like barely anybody wants to buy a ticket to that anyway so how do you make a career out of that it was like i was stuck trying to feed this idea of wanting to be in the world of business but still create art yeah and i realized it couldn't be classical music it just couldn't for me for me yeah i was like what else do i do that is at all artistic and craft oriented, but also is like super viable and can 
engage with the rules of the marketplace, right? Yeah. For lack of a better description. And that's where coffee came yeah. because that was already home brewing and getting really deep into it, mostly from an economic perspective. Yeah. I was teaching early mornings, ear training, which is like the worst class <laughs> for everybody. And I taught first year undergrads, first semester ear training at 8 a.m., three days a week, which is super early for music students. Yeah, for sure. And they all hated it. I loved it. We made the best of it, but I would always buy coffee at the 7-Eleven across the street, which is just crazy. I was like, okay, I could drink better coffee for cheaper if yeah. I just did it at home. And so that's that was like the kind of initial, like just exploration of it. And then just like being in the world of the arts and academia, wanting to understand things deeper and deeper. Yeah. Ultimately, it was, I was done, right? Yeah. As soon as I started down that path, it wasn't even a year and I was already roasting my own coffee in the kitchen yeah. on the stove. That, I appreciate you like walking through TikTok, how you got to where you got to. And just like for our listeners who don't know, you started in Boston, you were mailing coffee packages out to people, still do. Yeah. That's a way you can buy SK now, a little plug, mm -hmm. skcoffee.org. And you just grew the business by that. You're a roaster. All of a sudden you, you move back to Minnesota, you buy a property, you are roasting there full time, then you get, have the bar and now you have two locations. And it's just what, four or five years time. It's from my standpoint, a pretty incredible trajectory. I'll tell you, I was just watching, there's a video on your YouTube channel and it's you and Nate, your business partner. And I'm going to guess Nelly is filming. Yes. Oh my and gosh. you're sending yeah. out the first packages and you're like, yeah. you're all just really giddy. I think Nelly starts singing high school musical at the end of it. It's like late at night. I imagine you like just sent everything out. Like looking back, what would you tell that version of Sam? What to brace for, what to expect? Like what in that time would you tell yourself? I would say in the most frustrating in the moments of most frustration and anxiety to not kind of lose sight of what you're doing. I hate to sound cliche, but don't sound cliche, dude, I get to roast and sell single origin. Absolutely. Like truly objectively, I know what all my competitors are buying green coffee wise, and we're just buying the best coffee yeah. in the Twin Cities. I'm going to just say it. I love my friends everywhere else, but like the stuff we're buying is so freaking amazing. Yeah. And I get to do that every day. Yeah. No matter how stressful it is, like that giddiness that mm. Nate and I had in that video, I know exactly what video you're, it was after our roasting marathon, which is another story for another time. But try not to lose sight of that but simultaneously, don't be unrealistic about what feelings you should have. Something literally I was talking to my therapist today about was like this pressure that one has on what productivity looks like, oh my God. what output needs to look like. Yeah. 
And I was like, oh my God, I don't know why I'm like, just the last four days, all I've done is watch The Office. She's like, well, you also just spent two months working 12 hour days nonstop, literally without a day off, trying to open a new coffee shop. Yeah. You're not going to want to go for a 10 mile run. Or yeah. You're not going to want to go to the Y. Yeah. Maybe you want to watch a show you've watched 10 times already. And you know what? She's right. And I think just being okay with that, with the kind of ebb and flow of business seasons, right? Yeah. Sometimes you're going to feel really bored. Sometimes you're going to feel really stressed and anxious. And all the while, remember why you're in it in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really solid advice for anyone. And uh, yeah, just as someone who's now known you at various stages of your life, I'm just like, I'm really excited for you and excited to see already how far you've, you've come and you've grown. Really quick, Joel, just, just yeah. to add to that, I think that people sense that excitement too. And I think that yeah. is one thing we do really well, at least is we on the back end, our whole team gets super inspired by the coffee and the product that we're selling. Mm. And whatever it is, whoever's listening to this, whatever it is you're passionate about, if you express that in some way, in an authentic way, like people are going to get the little, the tingles on the back of their neck, listening to you talk about it. And that yeah. Yeah. will always create a loyal customer. Yeah. Always. Yeah. Family, really. And I like, I'll just endorse that. Like I've, I spent a lot of time at your coffee shop. I like look at stuff that people create that come into your business and create content around it. Like you have built a really, there's just this community of people who are excited about it and yeah just keep going man so let's do rapid fire you okay with that let's do it and then we'll send you it's great okay sam what's the worst piece of career advice you've ever heard it's an interesting i want to come back to it because the reality is joel like we have this third business partner that i met jeffrey yeah briefly and like actually He's sort of business dad a little bit yeah, and a mentor and almost every piece of advice he's given us is right. And so I almost want to answer the question with what is the worst in intuition? Sure. In a way, if I might. Yeah. I think something that has the worst intuition and, I, and I'll say a not a good intuition that has actually shaped our business is saying is the bad piece of advice would be to say yes to everything. Mm. And that actually, especially when you're trying to create a niche, really like unique product will not propel that product. Yeah. Basically if you say yes to everything because you think, oh, I need the money that might get you money quickly, but you will never differentiate your product. It will dilute your product. And in the end, you won't be profitable because yeah. you're likely saying yes to things that aren't making you very much money because you're just doing it a lot. So learning how to say no mm. is the opposite part of that because saying yes to everything is not a good idea. Yeah. Good advice. For somebody just coming out of college, as you and I once did, what would you tell them? What would you tell Sam of 
2011 that you've learned or what advice would you pass on to them? Don't shy away from the trades. Mm. This doesn't sound like so philosophical, but in a way we're funneled so so aggressively into this idea of what success looks like being an academic going to grad school getting a job that is titled in some way mm. but if you and if you look at what it is i'm doing like i just roast coffee like that does not need an advanced degree that does not need any really formal training whatsoever in fact i have no formal training in roasting coffee or anything in coffee yeah so that in and of itself, it, what I do is essentially a trade, but it's cool, right? Yeah. Like it's hip. Very. It's, it's like being a, the owner of a brewery. Yeah. 50 years ago, brewers, that was a trade too. Yeah. So I have the benefit of being in an industry that is a trade, but is also trendy. But don't shy away from something that you might find interesting that isn't that may not fit the mold of some kind of highly prestigious or highfalutin yeah. academic or titled path. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. Podcast or book recommendation, your choice. I am, I am reading right now a lot of books about like regenerative farming. Actually, it's right here. Cool. Healing Grounds. Healing Grounds. Really good. This actually just came out, I think, this last year. That one's really good. And this one called Braiding Sweetgrass. Hmm. Both in similar vein, but because so much of what we're trying to do is get more in touch with where the coffee comes from and the terroir and the people, the process, everything I already listed. Yeah. Understanding agriculture and agronomy and agrarian culture as well as kind of indigenous practices with which both of those sort of are they're both connected to in getting us back to it indigenous understanding of essentially farming and agriculture really yeah so those are really cool if you're interested in yeah learning more about how people who did it for 10,000 years before we did and really well, by the way. Yeah. Like, yeah. It, yeah. Anyways. Two more rapid fires and then we'll let you go. Yep. One is you're really into music. You make a lot of music. You listen to a lot of music. You often have music playing in the cafe. Give us a plug for a, a band, an artist, an album or something <laughs> you're digging lately. I've been digging a lot lately it's not that interesting but fleet foxes i like cannot get mm. enough of right now great maybe it's because of the season we're in like kind of quasi folk indie yeah. folk vibe yeah specifically robin pecknell the lead singer of that group released and some of the band in some tracks but they released a sort of live during the pandemic concert, mm. but it was a concert for nobody. Yeah. But it was a live recording called, I think, The Long Solstice or something or the, mm. yeah, it's really good. It's really good. If you're interested in exploring and want a meditative experience. Always. A, com a composer that I was super into during my graduate and even undergraduate studies 
actually I did my thesis on in grad school is an Estonian composer named Arvo Pert, A-R-V-O-P-A with an umlaut, R-T. Okay. And anything by Arvo Pert is spectacular. Okay. And will get you into a really beautiful place. I am going to check both of those out and I'll put them in the show notes as well. And lastly, best piece of career advice or any good one that you think to leave our listeners with. Like said it already, but really essentially leaning really heavily into your niche and what your mission is. So learning how to say no, all that kind of stuff. Honestly, that's probably the best piece of advice. Just to explain very briefly what I mean. So we've sold coffee for $45 a bag, which is four times as much as most people pay for coffee at the grocery store. Yeah. And we didn't get there right away, but because we kept saying no to the things that weren't us and we kept diving deeper into what our mission and vision was, yeah, we eventually got to be there and how that plays itself out in a positive business way is now people trust us that we know what we're talking about. Yeah. And so I don't even really think twice when we're buying a coffee for, we might be buying a coffee coming up. That's $50 a pound unroasted. Yeah. Like we currently are selling a coffee that is $30 $30 for four ounces. Yeah. For a 12 ounce bag, that's $90. That's a $90 <laughs> regular bag of coffee. Yeah. And we're selling out of it every time I put it out. Wow. Because people trust us because we have not, we've chosen not to dilute our mission. Yeah. So find something that's meaningful that you feel really passionate about and it might take more time. Yeah. But by taking the time and you're going to create more loyalty and loyalty is how that's going to help you succeed. Yeah. It's not by saying yes to everything. Yeah. Finally, where can people find out more about SK Coffee and follow your journey from here? Our website is skcoffeeplease.com. And by the time you listen to this, we will actually have a new website. I'm redoing it. We might launch it tomorrow. Also, follow us on Instagram, s.k.coffee. Otherwise, come to our shops. Our new shop is corner of Lindale and 24th in the Whittier neighborhood. And our HQ roastery and coffee bar is at the Vandalia Tower. Yeah. And just just to be clear for any listeners, obviously around the world and the country, you ship to where? The All the U.S.? Everywhere. The I've e- shipped anywhere. to Nicaragua, Hong Kong, England, cool. Puerto Rico. For people wherever. who like something different an incredible product it's one of the i gift it to all my friends and we drink it all the time and we obviously like coming to visit the shop so i could endorse it more fully sam shelberg thank you so much for being generous with your time and i hope to see you around soon fantastic thanks joel welcome to the coda part of the show where I share just a little bit about what's on my mind. And for close watchers of the show, you'll notice we were off last week. 
normally like to release every two weeks, but this one's coming to you three weeks after the last one. But that's because my lovely partner and I were on holiday in Tenerife. Tenerife is part of the Canary Islands. And it was lovely. It was beautiful. It was amazing. We did all the things you're supposed to do on holiday. We sat out by the beach, explored all the restaurants and the local community, hiked a volcano. Anyway, it was great. And I'm just, every time I'm on vacation, I'm reminded of the importance of taking a break. And for those of you who can, you know, whether that's going somewhere to another country or even a staycation, just like getting outside of your normal routine, changing your space, um, and just not thinking about your day-to-day -day job for a day, for a week, for two weeks. Yeah, I'm just really reminded about why that's important, at least for me, and I think for all of us who can afford to do so. I think for me, that kind of thing, it just it, it allows me to clear my head, to reconnect with my partner in a different way. You know, when we're on holiday, we often like dream together, like, sh should we, you know, travel around the world? Should we move to a different country? Yeah, it just really allows me to like, clear my head and to think about different things, to experience another culture. And it also reminds me that work is just a part of my life. It's not the whole part. It also, I think if done right, it sort of gets me excited to get back to work. It recharges my batteries. And I think if you're listening to this, you probably already know that, but just a reminder to go, go book the trip. Go book yourself a spa day, get the babysitter, go out to dinner. Just like make sure that you are taking time for yourself to reflect and to recharge. I don't think you'll regret it. Anyway, I hope you have a great week. I'll see you in a couple of weeks. As always, thanks for listening. That is it for today's episode of Connection Request. If you're not already following the show, go ahead and hit follow wherever you are listening to this right now. Please send coffee, vacation ideas, as well as feedback and questions to connect at shrugcontent.com. That's connect at shrugcontent.com. If social is more your style, that's okay too. You can hit me up on Twitter, LinkedIn, or Instagram. Or you can follow the show on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, or YouTube. Until next time, be well, and thanks for listening. Shrug content.